Hey everybody, welcome back to Beyond AO from Odyssey Geek. I'm Austin once again, and once again, Michael is here to talk with me about Paws and Tails. Welcome back, Michael. What is going on? What 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 happened in these episodes? I'm so confused. <laughs> yep, we actually <laughs> we're actually recording these pretty close after the last two episodes we recorded. Yeah. The last two episodes that we talked about. Which is very rare. We recorded this earlier in the day instead of late at night. And I, I appreciate that. That's better than my sanity. Also helps me to be able to phrase my arguments better. And I, I have thoughts, Boston. <laughs> All right. But yeah, we're actually recording this on the last day of 2022. Woo! We almost... We almost... Uh, finish recording all the reviews for season one this year or finish all those this year but it'll be pretty close yeah that's fine like it's not like all these are going to be released this year or anything right no i have to drink like <laughs> two liters of mountain dew no 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 don't do that please don't do that <laughs> <laughs> no I, I would not put myself through that i don't like mountain dew that much <laughs> there you go there you go stay that way all right so today we're talking about episode number 25 if the truth be known and episode 26 the grecian urn so, the first episode we're talking about is If the Truth Be Known. This one was written by Gary Armstrong, directed by David Carl, script supervisor was Phil Lawler, music by John Campbell, sound design by Jerry Swafford, and the song Be Strong and Have Good Courage by Sandy Howe and Nick Brown. Uh, shall we jump into talking about it? Yeah, but actually, first off the top here, I was going to say the writer for this show is the same one that wrote the episode we talked about last time, Plans in the Breaking. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you like that episode pretty well. So I'm just I'm wondering how you felt like this episode match up to that one. Oh, this one's great. I really really love this episode. Uh, I think with Gary Armstrong's writing and the natural dialogue and the witty lines and the characters who are characterized really well, it, this was an excellently written episode. I went and looked up Gary Armstrong to see like if he'd done anything else and I think this was one of his only writing gigs from from what I understand. But I I was engaged the whole way through. I think the theme was presented well. It was clever. Goose was fantastic, and that's a good criteria for me. <laughs> I wasn't annoyed by any of the characters. I actually was rooting for everybody. So contrast this with next episode. We'll talk about next episode in a, uh, a little bit. But I really love this one. I think he knocked it out of the park. Yeah. So we actually start at the Footlight Theater. I think mm-hmm. this is the first mention we've heard of this place. And Miss Harbor is putting on a play, which I don't think it's a school play since there's other people that aren't in the school in it but this is also the play i talked about where ned didn't get the lead in the play that stacy talks about yeah. he's the understudy mm. okay the, well this was gary armstrong's previous episode that that happened in yeah okay that continuity makes sense yeah and that's and also it's kind of the reason why later on like he says he doesn't know his lines and like he probably didn't think he would need to do it and marcia brings out that you know you're so mad you didn't get cj's part and then you didn't even take time to even try to be a good understudy yeah i probably just felt insulted by being the understudy but it's if it's funny it starts with basically uh kind of this running joke of the prop door (laughs) (laughs) that's great yeah so the it's a it's a very flimsy prop and stacy's telling papa chuck in a kind of subtle way trying to say like you know that door needs to be fixed and it's not a real door and then goose repeats it like everybody it's a prop door not not uh strong enough to slam <laughs> goose's lines are written so well to fit with the way that she speaks in this episode every time she's got a line i'm like yes that's yeah. perfect yeah, and I love that she's wearing a pillow on her head, and she keeps calling it as a, a beret, beret, and she keeps defending it. Like, it's a beret! <laughs> Doll at the beret store! No, it, you made it out of a pillow. Don't care, I did! Yeah, and I love Ned's turn of the phrase later. says, apparently all the best mediocre stage managers wear pillows. <laughs> I, I missed that one. 
That's awesome. But an example of excellent writing here is that the narrator doesn't need to step in and say, Goose was the stage manager for the play. She had had a hard time stepping into the role, but, and, and going on. But with a pillow on her head, she was all right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but here, the, the dialogue is excellent where they're talking about something that's happening in the scene that the characters don't already know about, the fact that she's wearing a pillow beret. And she qualifies it by saying all the best stage managers wear berets, which is something they would have already known but is used in the conversation in a way that naturally fits and clues the audience in to two things. One, that she's stage manager, and two, she's very defensive about her beret. So that's great, and it shows us what each character's like role is in this episode. I think that this happens in every single scene. There's, there's lines like this. I really love it. Yeah. So did you notice a new voice for one of the main characters? Yeah, Marsha is not voiced by Chris Anthony anymore. That's correct. We actually haven't heard Marsha in an episode since... Since Tiffany cometh, that was episode 18. So I hope you don't kick me off the podcast, but I actually don't hate this new voice for, for Marsha. And I think I might even prefer it to, to Chris Anthony because Chris has always sounded like um, she was Chris trying to do uh, a child's voice. But here it sounds closer to what I think a, a spunky version of Marsha would sound like. And that's that's something small, and I, I don't know exactly how I'd qualify that. But I feel like... If I were to hear them side by side, I might prefer this one. I'm actually really surprised, but also glad that you say that, because okay. I do prefer Linda Ford is her name. I do prefer her take on Marsha a lot more. Okay. She does play Marsha longer than Chris Anthony did. It's her first episode, I guess, that she recorded, but she does tweak the voice a little bit later, where it sounds a lot more, you know, like a little bit sweeter sound to it, not quite as harsh sounding. Ah, yeah, okay. But this, she sounds a lot more like an adult. In other episodes that she's in, she sa- she tones that down a little bit, and she sounds more like a a child. Yeah, we get a reminder next episode that these kids are supposed to be around nine years old, and that's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I forgot. So we actually have another returning actor playing a new character that was in two episodes back, and that is, I can't remember the actor's name, but it's the same guy that plays Mr. Lily in Plans in the Breaking. Oh! He plays Mr. Wright. Oh, he kills it in this one. He's so cool. I love him. You'll actually get to hear that actor quite a bit. A little bit different voice, but in the next episode after these two that we review, he's going to be premiering, well, he's going to be debuting as a new reoccurring character. Oh, okay. Looking forward to that. But we haven't heard of Mr. Lily before, and we don't hear about him afterwards. It's He's a very he's a very interesting, I think he's a fun one-off character. You mean Mr. Wright. Yeah, Mr. Wright. Sorry. Yeah, I should know these things. I was like, the guy stuck in the elevator? <laughs> yeah, he's still stuck in the elevator in the in the theater. Yeah, Papa Chuck let him out, and then, pff, oh no, <laughs> door's closed again. But, um, I mean, again, I don't think this is a school play, since he is an adult. And I guess he sound, he's probably around the same age as, like, uh, probably Miss Harbor. And, like, he's the only other adult that we hear that's in the play. I'm guessing there might be other people in the play besides the club and then, I guess, Miss Harbor and Mr. Wright. It's been a while since we've actually heard from the club recently. Like, all five of them. Yeah, unless you want to call uh, Count the, Stra- the Scarlet Stain as that. But that wasn't really a club thing. That was just them hitting them each other in the head. Well, Marsha wasn't in that episode either, so it wasn't complete. Wasn't she? No, she wasn't. Oh, okay. Oh, well. Well, we actually did hear Marsha briefly as like a clip in the Hullabaloo at Hunker Hill, but that was just basically Stacy, Goose, and CJ. But Ned and uh, Marsha lines, I think, were like clips from previous episodes. But yeah, this is the first time we've had all five of them since, yeah, Timothy, uh, Timothy, Tiffany cometh. 
<laughs> that would have been a good episode for the first episode of our Timothy <laughs> Al. Timothy Cometh. <laughs> Thinking of his quotes, but yeah, anyway, continue. So, Mr. Wright is having stage fright, and he's hyperventilating. He's, you know, breaking out in sweat, it sounds like. And at the same time, we also have something else bad happening, and CJ cannot be understood hardly by anybody because he's a really bad tooth and he's in a lot of pain. Yeah, he, he gives uh, he gives his line, and right before then, Goose gives Mr. Wright's line because it seems like he's forgotten, and he goes, oh, I, I know my lines, I, I just can't say them. And then we skip to CJ, and he says something, and then Ned goes, what did he say? Was that my cue? And then Goose repeats it, and CJ goes, that's what I said. That's not in the script. Miss Harbor, CJ's making up lines again. <laughs> Come on. He says something else, and then Ned said, I'd have a witty response, but I didn't understand what he said, which is another great line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> really good. And then after he's going, oh, the dentist is going to go. The dentist is going to go donuts? <laughs> I love how CJ's actor is striking the balance between having it be that affected toothache voice and yet also making it easy to understand for the audience, at least for me. Yeah, he does great acting with this. Like, Sometimes when, like, people are acting like they have, like, food in their mouth or, like, like you know, something's wrong with their mouth or something like that. I'm not sure if he had, like, some cotton or something like that in his mouth to make it easier that way. Especially as a kid actor, I think it'd be probably a little hard for them to affect their voice that much without something like that. Like, I think even Audrey Wazalewski, I think I remember seeing a behind-the-scenes video for the Green Room Conspiracy for that scene where she's kidnapped by Mr. Skint. She actually yeah. has like, a cloth, like, she's holding it over her face to make it sound like she's you know, gagged. Right, right. And it's just a couple lines there even, but yeah. So, yeah, we have all these bad things happening, and the adults, or at least Miss Harbor, tries to help Mr. Wright. I got it right that time. And the rest of the club members are trying <laughs> to help CJ. The girls are wanting to, they have ideas for it, and they have home remedies, and then they'll say, oh, we'll get this, we'll get this, and Goose says, I'll get the snacks. <laughs> and then, like, what do we need snacks? Like, hey, we gotta eat. Yeah, it's awesome. And it comes back later in the episode, and we'll talk about that when we jump there. It's just uh, uh, another couple scenes later. But I love, again, I love the little bits in this episode that fit so well with the characters. Like, she's doing a good job as the stage manager, and then she looks out for everybody by getting up snacks. It's kind of funny, too. It's almost kind of like that line back in, I think it was the Great Go-Kart Race, maybe? When she says, I'll get the worms. Like, why do we need worms? Well, I know how. I know where we can get some. <laughs> Whereas in this one, it's kind of relevant because she, you know, just wants food. And worms are, might not actually be that relevant. But anyway. But she actually, she brings snacks that are the worst things to eat. When I know. When <laughs> your teeth are hurting, like jawbreakers and gum, I think, was it or something? <laughs> She'd probably be like, oh, I guess I get them all then. <laughs> that was her plan all the time. Yep, yep. I wanted to jump back to that second scene and bring out Miss Harbor's acting. She does a phenomenal job, especially with that single line where she's talking with CJ and CJ is like, I can, I can do it. It'll be okay. And then she's got, uh, I don't have it written down, but it's like, you can't do this and still be in the, and, and stuff. And you can hear the hesitation in her voice. Yes. And then she's like, I think we're going to have to take you out of the play. And then subs in Ned. It's excellent acting. And at first I thought, is this just really bad acting and you don't know how to read this line? No, 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 no. You're processing. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Miss Harbor's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, and I think before we hear about the home remedies and how they affect CJ, we actually hear Madame Kildare for the first time. Remember Woo! 
when she was mentioned last? Yeah, I. Uh, that was in a closer look. Yep, and it was in the background. We only heard her roaring. Yeah, she has a a, a roar that she can apparently place anywhere in physical space <laughs> that makes it sound like she's right next. She's to... a ventriloquist. <laughs> It was very weird, yeah. But no, she she's great here because she's like, I have this controlled breathing technique, and if you do this, you'll be fine. Oh, that's good. And then she tries to work with Mr. Wright to get him to control his breathing, and it seems like things are going well. Yeah. Whoever plays that uh, character, she does great with that. Yeah. And the, kind of that, kind of like Edwin Blackard type of person. <laughs> Yeah, it's just so weird at the, at the end of the episode. She she comes up, and I'll, I guess I'll jump in here. And she comes up, she's, she's like, excellent job. And Goose is like, did you like it? She's like, well, ah, uh, I, ah, uh, Mayor Bar. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. What do you think about, because I know we find out later that it doesn't work, but what do you think about using controlled breathing like that to manage stage fright? Do you think that's a thing? I have no idea. The way I managed stage fright was by being thrown out on stage multiple times and being scared to death and embarrassed and then realizing none of this matters. Be quiet and give your lines and have everyone just have fun. That's how I do it. I have no problem getting in front of a a crowd of people and making a fool out of myself. I really don't care anymore. So I don't know. That's not the advice that I would give, but I guess if if it works for some people, possibly. Apparently it doesn't work for Mr. Wright in this episode. Yeah, he sounds a lot more... I guess for this specifically, it doesn't sound like he's afraid normally because we hear his occupation or kind of his occupation later. And he yeah. seems very, very mellow and very, you know, calm with that kind of thing. So I guess stage fright is the only thing he has a problem with, which I guess the breathing would be okay leading up to it. But I don't think that would do much when you're on stage. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have stage fright, Austin? Uh, I'm not great at, you know, being in front of a lot of people. Like I, I was in quite a few plays when I was in elementary school and high school and things like that. I haven't been in a play since, well, I was one for Christmas this year, but I was just like a narrator, so it wasn't like memorizing lines, and there wasn't a whole lot of people. I've gotten to the point like where I'm okay with it to a certain extent. I'm not super comfortable with it. I prefer not to be in front of a crowd, but I can ha- handle it with, you know, lots of prayer and try not to focus on all the things that could go wrong. Okay, well... I just make the things go wrong, even make my performance even funnier. I'll just say, oh, that happened. Anyway, we're moving on. Why do you think I do podcasts? <laughs> yeah, we can edit ourselves. I mean, yeah. Anyway, continue. So we come to, I think, the funniest scene in the whole episode <laughs> is where Marsha and Stacy bring in their home remedies. Stacy brings herbs or grass, as uh, Marsha likes to put down <laughs> on it. A mixture of herbs, yeah. Yeah, she, she's out of sight, like, oh, the grass, really? It's kind of funny, because this, I'm not, I'm sure at this point in history, when this happens, herbs were known to actually help people, and she calls it a myth, that they don't actually <laughs> help people. Maybe she was just saying that because she was just trying to get him to go with, I'm not sure what this thing is. Was it powdered glibbit? Oh, Something what? like that? I have no idea what, she has, like, this kind of soupy kind of mixture thing. She says she has powdered gibbet or glibbet, something like that. Do you want me to check and see what that line was then? Well, I know a spell check on Google Docs did not like it because it shows I did not <laughs> spell it correctly. Well, I can I can listen to the clip and see if I can understand what it was. CJ needs something more aggressive. I've got powdered gibbet. What? It looks like boring. Oh. Oh, I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> powdered gibbet? <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. That's weird. Okay, so... Did you find something? I found something that's a glibbit. It's... First thing is, like, glibbit 5 milligram tablet is used for the reduction of blood sugar levels in patients suffering from type 2 diabetes. So, no. Which is totally not what CJ has. That's not relevant. Yeah. And somehow, whatever this is makes concrete. 
I know. Like, I, I'm, I'm thinking that the herbs probably had nothing to do with it. I think I blame Marsha. I think her whole mixture was the cause of it, because I don't think the herbs would harden up like that. I don't, I don't know. Like, we don't know what kind of herbs they were, but it was funny, you know, Goose had to be, like, the one to, like, check. Oh, wait, no, that's the next scene later. No, that's the scene. It is? Like, when she looks into his mouth? Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, it is the next scene. Yeah, the other scene is where they're trying to identify the cause of it or something like that. Which they should have done first. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't even see the the popcorn shell stuck in his tooth. Yeah, I guess so. Because they probably didn't have all the magnifying glass. She should have the magnifying glass. Then she probably would have seen it. Yeah, yeah, that that gift that you were given that you're not using for actually relevant things. (laughs) What are you doing? Yeah, but anyway, they're wanting him to try theirs, and he finally says, like, okay, you know, just mix them both together. I'll take them both at once. I guess he's probably desperate, and he's maybe trying to keep the peace. And, you know, Goose, you know, she's a little bit more wiser than some of them. It's like, I don't think that's a very good idea, like, mixing them together. Before she says that, he says, just mix them both together now. And then Goose goes, Taffy? (laughs) Did you catch that? (laughs) Russell Sprout? No, go away. That's not what she says. (laughs) But yeah, so he puts it on his teeth, and he said it tastes kind of good at first, and then it's just so funny, it's just firming up, and he's just like, like <laughs> great, it's just great acting there. But in the foreground, I, I love the interaction between Stacy's and Marsha's new actresses, where they go, we could sell this down at the at whatever it was, we could call it Marsha's and Stacy's Home Remedy. Nope, Stacy's and Marsha's, Marsha's and Stacy's, and they go back and forth <laughs> a couple times. You're not watching to see how your experiment goes, that's not, you know, this will not pass the FDA. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there was one back then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and especially with animals, I I don't know if that would yeah. be a thing. Poor CJ. I mean, he's already in a lot of pain. He's even more pain now. Well, we hear the next scene. Mr. Wright sounds, you know, a lot more cheerful <laughs> and very relaxed. And uh, Papa Chuck's putting in some new bulbs for the marquee. And Mr. Wright's helping him. And then Papa Chuck makes the mistake of telling him that, you know, it's a sold out. And it's going to be a full house. And it's a record. And... and as soon as he mentions that, the music starts up ominously in the background. Yeah, and he starts kind of stuttering. And I love this, this great sound effect moments because he drops those light bulbs and hear those light bulbs, the glass breaking. And Papa Chuck calls, Miss Harbor. It's funny how he goes from his high emotional moment at the beginning of the scene, everything's fine. And I worked on this breathing technique and it's going to be no problem. And then at the end of the scene, he's passed out. Yeah, I mean, he does try it. Like he, It doesn't like he forgets doing it. He does it, but it's just not helping. It doesn't work, yeah. So the next scene, we hear the kids again, and he's like, oh, no, not another remedy. So, like, no, we're going to identify it. They have this really big book about dentistry. And he says that getting the cement off of his teeth got his other tooth hurting. Yeah, oh, poor guy. <laughs> but, yeah, I love how, like, Goose, she's, like, the the nurse one looking in his mouth trying to see what's going on there. And then she's like, wow. And he's like, what? And like, you could use a couple breath mints or something like that. Yeah, seriously. Dude. <laughs> And then I love I love how she describes it. She says, she says, I think, swelling of the gum, redness, tooth discoloration. We got a weasel that's about to gag. <laughs> this is all relevant to the scene. These aren't jokes that are just randomly placed in there, and the characters actually react to them. They're funny. They fit with the characters, and they progress the plot. And, like, another joke is that Stacy's asking him what his symptoms are, and he goes, hmm, pain, pain, and more pain. And so she's like, okay, pain. And she looks it up. Yeah, this is actually helpful to a certain extent. Like they were wrong on what was going to happen, I mean, they might have been right if it hadn't been for that. Like if it was a cause of something else, then they might have been right. But still, they weren't as helpful as actually going to the dentist. Mm-hmm. Well, they did identify the swelling and all of that makes sense if there is something stuck in his tooth. That day's version of WebMD. <laughs> Bear MD. 
<laughs> Weasel MD. Wildwood MD. There we go. That's what Doc, Doc, Doc Lowell's office is called. Nah, that makes sense. I don't know for certain. I'm just joking here. No, no. You see, it's Insight for Living MD because they're the producer. Let's move on. <laughs> so, yeah, we go to the next scene where CJ is telling Papa Chuck that he's going to the dentist and he's going to have to drop out of the play. I love this scene. Really? I actually yeah. thought you th- may not like this one as much. No, I really like it. Why wouldn't I like it? Well, I mean, I know it sounds a little bit, to a certain extent, a little simplistic. Like, what he says is true. I just felt like it's... Well, I guess with the, the, the tone of the episode, I think the tone fits well. Like, it's not super in-depth. So I thought maybe that would be something like that. Might be something that you may not like as much. I mean, I think it's great. Papa Chuck brings about, you know, like, you know, every hero gets afraid. Lots of people in the Bible had these issues. CJ asks him, you know, how can I stop being afraid? And he says, I don't really know if you can. Which, I'm not sure if I totally agree with that. I agree. I mean, I know you can still, like, I know courage... Like, or bravery is doing what's right even when you're afraid, like, in spite of the circumstances. But I think there is a point that you can get over your fear. You're not afraid of something anymore. You can, but I think it works better for this plot to say that even if you are still scared, which you are right now, CJ, that doesn't mean that you don't, you shouldn't face your responsibilities. You need to do it even while you're scared. You can't wait until you're not scared anymore. And part of what overcoming your fears is can be through facing those fears. And that's, that's what he realizes in this episode. Yeah, and he should have done it a lot earlier because I think he brings out that if he had gone to the dentist a lot sooner, it wouldn't have gotten so bad. Yeah, so what I like about this is if we follow the three-act structure of this episode, you've got the first segment and where it's set up, all these characters have these fears and these problems. Second segment, where they try to solve it on their own and it doesn't work and they get more desperate. And then the third segment, which is this scene. And, at the, and in this scene, we already knew from the first segment of the episode that CJ is scared of not losing, of losing his role in the play and of going to the dentist. So he's doing whatever he can to get around that. But he knows that if he goes to the dentist, then both of those problems will be solved. So all of this has been him trying to circumvent his fears. So he's shown that it, the episode has shown that there's no way he can solve this on his own. He has to face his fear and now he has to do it. And this is a great character moment for him to actually be doing this active character thing Going to the dentist and Papa Chuck coming alongside him and giving him that encouragement of, yeah, you're not the only one who struggles with fear. I had to get a tooth pulled once. Nobody likes it. But it's just what, one of those things you have to do when you're growing up. And the scene ends with the narrator says, saying that after he prayed about it, it made all the difference in the world knowing he wasn't alone. And that is the – I think that's the thesis of this episode. If I, if I were to distill it down to something, like you, you may be afraid about things in life, but God is always with you even in those fears. I love that. Yeah, it, it is a good message. So we come to the scene where he's at the dentist, and he does pray before things happen, and he tells he tells God specifically what he's afraid of, which I think is great. Like, mm-hmm. not to say, Lord, I'm afraid about the situation, because I know God likes to hear us talk about things specifically. Like, he already knows, but I think telling God specifically why you're afraid of something, what exactly you're afraid of, I think is helpful for us to want to communicate that for ourselves but also to god and it's like okay these are the situations these are the points i know i need help on yeah yeah and as you say it out loud you might realize oh i'm afraid of this well that that's actually not as bad as i thought it was well i'm also afraid about this oh no there's not that so what are you afraid of just the idea of being here in general okay well fear itself once you've established that <laughs> yeah yeah it's good to, to quantify what you're going through it's that's good for any um self-help or just talking to somebody or even or like you said with praying it's it's good to just get that out in the open and if you're journaling that that also really helps like having a prayer journal and getting your getting your thoughts on paper and getting your prayers on paper it helps to get out of your own head that way yeah 
See, we're going back to the philosophy of good episodes. You talk about how they affect your lives. That's that's what a good episode should do. Exactly. So we get the surprise that Mr. Wright is a dentist. He's Yay! retired, but he helps out. I think Mr. Cook, Dr. Cook is the name of the dentist. And he's on vacation, mm-hmm. probably golfing. <laughs> I know that's a stereotype. <laughs> yeah. but Mr. Wright uh, starts checking out uh, CJ's teeth. And it's kind of like how, what happened with Goose. He says, I'm afraid I have some bad news. And CJ's <gasps> like, oh, no. I have to drop out of the play. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, there's another example of really good writing right before that when he shows up and CJ says, what are you doing here? He goes, fixing teeth. We dentists are good at that, you know. <laughs> yeah, that establishes just who he is and what he's doing there in a clever, witty way of dialogue that furthers the plot. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, yeah. And I love how CJ is able to help an adult. Yeah. Some adults may not listen to kids. CJ was sincere with it. He wasn't trying to tell them. He wasn't just trying to just say, oh, I know more than you do. He was doing it very in a very loving way, in a respectful way. And it does help Mr. Wright out quite a bit. And I love that. Yeah, I'm wondering, was there any dialogue that said that Mr. Wright was impressed by CJ coming in there, even though he was scared? I think they talk about a little bit, maybe sometimes after that. But I think a lot of that happened is probably like off mic or something i don't think we hear that much about it i think you could infer that he was impressed by uh what cj did and that sort of led him to accept his uh cj's advice but i don't want to write the episode for the writer (laughs) but that's that's how i would read that yeah well i i think so too because he tells them why he was scared and how he's dealing with that and that helps him and i think that probably does go into his thinking after that like okay this cub can do this and he's young and he's afraid of something but he's able to conquer me i can do that too yeah and we end up seeing what happens in the next two scenes yep and it's so funny like we it's it's opening night here and ned is like you know i can't remember any of my lines and he starts hitting his head against the prop door (laughs) (laughs) poor guy no i mean stacy tells him watch your head is is he doing it on purpose is he hitting his head against the door on purpose yeah like he sounds he seems like that kind of person to do that it's like, wait, what's with the door? Well, he said, and Stacy says, Papa Chuck kind of beefed it up. And he goes, oh, well, did anybody tell Ned? No, but you just did. She was saying right before then, Ned, watch your head. Well, it's probably part of, you know, nobody tells me what to do like he did in the Scarlet Stain. I, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I think you could read in what was going on previous episode into this episode, but we don't get that bit of dialogue again, and we don't really see Ned's dark side. We just see him being a little bit precocious. Even back earlier in the episode, when he finds out he has to take over, it's more like, yeah, I want to do the right thing, but I, I don't know how to do that. You're, you're expecting me to, to have these lines ready. I don't have them ready. Well, Marcia says specifically that you were so mad you didn't get CJ's part. I know, I she know. She says that specifically. Well, she says it, but we don't really see it. It seems like he does want the play to succeed in general, and he does he does want to work along. Uh, with Miss Harbor, he doesn't push back against her like, oh, you're telling me to take over? Well, you didn't tell me before. Nobody tells me what to do. I, I think I would have liked a little bit more nuance in that or at least had the the assurance that this episode does follow from the Scarlet Stain because I don't know if it does. I don't know. Well, I think it works because, I mean, David Carl's episode, The Scarlet Stain, comes in between Plans in the Breaking and this one. And both of this episode and the other episode was written by Gary Armstrong. So the thread between those two I think are good are probably the best link there. And I think we get a little bit of that in the next episode, too. Um, but we'll get there. Oh, no, no. Yeah, but in this one, it's it's fine. It's fine for, in general, having an episode with Ned that we're not focusing on him. I just would have liked to have a little bit more of showing, like, he's been affected by this previous episode. We're not just going to move on from that. 
which is what the next episode does, unfortunately. Preview, but anyway. We hear this happening, uh, Ned getting upset or scared, and I love how they all pray together. And you hear Mr. Wright, he's doing that breathing technique again there too. You can kind of hear that a little bit. And CJ's praying there, and CJ's a lot more confident at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can hear his, his voice sounds a lot better in this one. So again, nice job for the actor for that. And then, and th- this is the different actor for CJ, right? From the then it was in the beginning. Yeah, because I think the the, the newest actors for Stacy and CJ started in the Hello Blue at Hunker Hill. That was episode twenty one. Is CJ being played by a guy? I believe so. Yes. Okay. His voice does deepen quite a bit. Oh yeah. Uh, later in the series, like even in what was it, the Easter special that we reviewed? Yeah, uh, I'm a believer. Yeah, that one. Even that one, I could tell that his voice was a fair bit deeper. Maybe that's just me. Anyway. The play goes wonderfully. They get, I guess, like a standing ovation, I guess. They're really happy with how it, how it turned out. Mr. Wright did a good job. Um, CJ did great. Again, like you said, Madame Kildare comes back there and gives them some applause, and that's about it. Why? What is her problem? She just said she loved it. <laughs> or she just said it was good. She says they did a good job, but, like, did you really like it? Like, maybe she didn't like the story that much. Maybe it was not as sophisticated for her. Okay, fine. But I love the conversation Mr. Wright has. He says he has two requests. He wants to talk to Pupshark more about God, which I'm I'm guessing he's probably not a Christian the way he's talking there. So, you know, CJ was kind of a good witness there, yeah. too, if that's the case. You never know how you'll affect people. Yep. And he also asked Miss Harbor for the next play if he could have a bigger part, which is great. <laughs> it's a great line to go out on. Yeah. And then they all you know, take their bows. Oh, right. There is one more line. Wait a minute. Why do they have that much time backstage, enough for Papa Chuck and Madame Kildare to... I, I mean, I guess they were both involved in the production, but why do they have that much time before Curtain Call? Usually Curtain Call comes right after the the final the final part of the play. Unless it's like an encore thing. It sounds like they're still plotting and cheering out there during all of this, I think. Yeah, I guess it's fine. I'm just so used to Curtain Calls being lights go down or Curtain closes. We don't really have curtains at Liberty. We just have We just use lights. Curtains are too difficult to to move he uses venetian blinds instead venetian blinds like the um the see-through ones or whatever or what do you mean oh come on that joke is supposed to be a lot funnier than that i'm missing something like and instead of a curtain instead of a curtain you have venetian blinds like in a window no i don't understand the joke i'm so sorry <laughs> okay is that, is that i'm completely missing this joke austin help <laughs> i just made it i just made it up and i know it's not funny when you have to explain it so we'll, we can move on <laughs> okay please move on <laughs> before we move on to the song i was wondering would you have liked to know more about the story itself of the play, or do you think that wasn't necessary? Given that episode three of Woodgrove is going to be basically the same idea of happening during a play, this gives me encouragement that I don't have to show the play, but I kind of also want to show the play. So I don't mind not seeing it, but I think it would have been cool to see it, and I also understand from a writer's perspective of what even is this play about? That would be hard. Yeah, it's difficult. It's I think it, it kind of reminds me of the episode in Down Gilead Lane um, about Maya and Anna. The unreleased uh, episode. Becoming friends again. I can't remember what that one was. And then later on when Anna. Oh, yeah, not that one. Sorry. I think is it. Yes. The one that's all focused on Anna. That's the unreleased episode. That one's unreleased. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It's not on the CD. I didn't have it when I got the CDs. Oh, okay. Okay. It's like, I know that's in season 11, I think, or 12. It's in season 10, episode 9, and oh, okay. it's only available on the digital download or the old versions of the CDs. It's not currently available on the current version of the CD. It's wow, really sad. that's weird. Anyway, that was a, a tangent. And the episode with the uh, the other one, I do not remember the name of, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's something about it's sad. color? No, I'm not. I'm thinking Shades of Chartreuse, aren't I? Shades of Chartreuse, which is not that one. I could look okay. it up on the DGL wiki. <laughs> It's okay. 
But yeah, I, I like that we don't hear more about the play. Like, it'd be kind of cool to hear more about it. Oh, much to do about something. Okay, yeah, that, right? yeah, that sounds right. But yeah, I don't think it's necessary. I don't. I think if they did more about the play, it probably would be too much. I think it's very concise the way it is already. Mm-hmm. So the song. What was your opinion on the song? That's a woman. That's not CJ's actor singing that. I'm pretty sure it's not. Yeah, I think it's a different person doing the singing voice because I think it's the same person that sang in. Because CJ sang in "What Kind of Boy" and. Uh, I will stand. Yeah, but CJ really sounds like a boy in What Kind of Boy. He doesn't sound like a woman, which is what he sounds like in this song. It, it may be, since it's a different actor. Maybe the original actor for CJ also did the singing, because it sounds pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, that's that's probably it. Like, the line in What Kind of Boy that was, but it sounds as though you're saying I should want to be a liar. Really sounds like CJ's normal intonation here. Yeah. And this one, it just sounds, it, it's hard to quantify, but it just sounds different. You can hear that the vocal range is slightly different the timbre of the voice is slightly yeah. different but other than that what did you think of it uh, i thought it was fun it it went through the plot really well and i think similar similarly to what kind of boy it kind of expressed the the sort of the theme or the idea of the character interactions between mr Wright and cj in this episode i think i prefer songs that don't summarize the episode maybe just because i was so burned by correction course but from this one i, I thought it was i thought it was good considering that i did enjoy the plot and it did Seemed like it would be a good theme for the song. I forget the... St- oh, it was like a um, a big musical number style song, right? Yeah, like a big show tune. Oh, yeah. Song. Yeah, I love at the end when the, the beat slows down and I can imagine them all being in the, like, being in the kick line. <laughs> that was that was kind of or fun. Or like, uh, I've seen like pictures like vaudeville acts of like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, straw hats and mm-hmm. uh, bamboo canes. Yes, yeah. And then uh, Mr. Wright ends up tap dancing and that's really, that's really funny. The one thing I don't like about the song is his, his laugh there almost sounds like it's an evil laugh or like kind of unhinged <laughs> there. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I did notice that too. It's like, oh, foreshadowing. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> I am taking over this town in the play. <laughs> Footlights fear. Next, Wildwood. Here's a question: Are the songs canon to the story of Wildwood? Mm, not usually. Like usually, the episode, like usually, the songs are separate from the episode itself. Like it may tie into it, but rarely does the song actually take place in the middle of an episode which we will get those in future episodes which are really good well we already got to one you gonna share it with others yeah Did you hear what i said you gotta share it with yeah others. those that was kind of a yeah that was kind of a well that one i think works better than the first two episodes did because it, i think that episode in the classroom does work into the story itself where most of the mm-hmm. times in most positive Tales episodes it's after everything has happened but there are some very musical-esque episodes in the future okay just checking because next episode we have a song that like contradicts canon so i just want to make sure yeah yeah we'll get there <laughs> um some lines i wanted to point out i this one thing i love about this song it's super catchy it's very catchy in a good way it's not one of those earworms that you just want to get out of your head like some songs that won't be mentioned but i like the lines like you know where mr Wright is saying like he turns whiter than a polar bear <laughs> I love how we get the title of the episode where CJ says, My prayer was answered if the truth be known. <laughs> he said the name of the episode. Yeah, and I would have appreciated it more if it was in CJ's voice, but you know, that's just me. <laughs> and then also, I love how, like, when he says, Ants in your pants, the music goes like, like on the trombone, like, kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a really fun song. It's it's probably one I I listen to quite a bit from the series just by, by itself. And I, I think it works with that setting of, like, some songs don't always match like the theme or like the style of the episode, but this one I think does because like it's in like a a live theater kind of thing and it it fits. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Austin, I think we might have, at least for me, a contender for favorite slash best episode. Ah, so is this I don't know. higher than uh, the Honey Buzz Principle now? I don't know. I need to listen to those three again. That one, uh, this one, and High Noon. Standing and, Alone. No, sorry, not High Noon. Um, Standing Alone, yeah. Uh, and, and see which one I like most. Okay. All right. Did you have anything else to say? Or are you ready to go to the next episode? I'm, I, I'll say my positivity ends here. So I hope you guys enjoyed my positive review of that because I am ready to tear this next episode to shreds if you're okay with that, Austin. Well, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you a little, what's the word, disclaimer. I'll give you a kind of reason why this probably is a different kind of episode. But anyway. I, I, know, I, th- I know why. I, I, I kind of know why. Uh, these are the Jungle Jam and Friends writers, aren't they? Yes! You knew that. There we go. Before I told I you. Knew that. You usually have to explain Jungle Jam stuff to you. Yep. Yeah, well, that's just because there's not an easy way to listen to all of it except paying like 200 bucks or $300 for the whole. I don't know how much it costs, but. Or you can just listen to the few music albums they have, story music albums they have on YouTube for free. No. No, like I YouTube look, music. No, on YouTube, it's like no, it's official why? one. Like, is it an official? Basically, you can get oh. listen to any musical album on oh, yeah. YouTube. Like we have it listed with ads and that kind of stuff, but it's legal. Okay. Well, if I if I do end up getting a, a listening order, I'm gonna want to do it in order, release order, like episodes and. Yeah, they're on there. Like the release order, those musical albums are the first thing they did before the radio show. Oh, okay. And then those will later turn into the radio show episodes later in the series. So if you listen to the ones on YouTube, you will one, two, and three are on there. They're just not numbered one, two, and three. I will make time to go do that. In the meantime, oh my goodness, what happened? This episode. Oh, so let's 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 back up a little bit. So (laughs) this episode is the Grecian Urn. The writers are Nathan Carlson and Jeff Parker, which I think this is the first time we've had an episode written by two people, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've had like script supervisor, which Phil Aller is a script supervisor for this one, but actual two credited writers, I think, is a first on this one. And the director is David Carl. Like I said, Phil Lawler is the script supervisor. Music, Tim Hoffman. Sound design by Eric Basil. And the song, If You Want to Know the Truth, which is actually written by three people. Sandy Howell, Michael Bengay, Bengay, something like that, and Nick Brown. So um, how do we want to do this, Austin? Do you want to go through plot-wise and I'll bring up stuff as we go? I think that'd be the best way to do this. Okay, we can do that. Well, here, first first question. Can we say off the top, what are your thoughts on this one? I'm totally okay if you like this a lot more than I do. This one, I think it's probably one of the weaker episodes in the season, but after listening to it again yesterday, I don't think it was quite as bad as I thought it was, but the thing is, I usually listen to a lot of Pause and Tales episodes out of order, but since I listen to this kind of in order of the storyline, I see it kind of fits with the previous Ned episodes. Um, but not in the best of ways. But I also understand this episode was written by people that usually write a different style because Jungle Jam and Friends of the Radio Show, like that one is very different. It's very fast paced. It's very witty. It's very dialogue. It's very rapid fire. So this kind of episode is not like a normal episode for these writers to write. I can I can forgive them for that because I think it's the first time them doing kind of an episode that's more like this kind of style or kind of Odyssey style episode rather than the style they have with Jungle Jam. So don't be put off by their writing here, because they write phenomenally well for Jungle Jam. Once you finally listen to it, you'll be laughing yourself silly. Okay, okay. I mean, I'm not that concerned about the writing style here. I'm more concerned about what they do to the characters and what they do to the plot. Okay. Style aside, the, the plot and the characters are drastically underwhelming here. And I'll 
I'll talk about that as we get through uh, and and try to bounce these, bounce these ideas off of you and see if I'm coming from an objective standpoint here. Because subjectively, I love this episode. It's fun. It's witty. The characters are, are, are fun to listen to. But then when I put it under the, under the microscope today, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is nowhere near what I thought it was when I first listened to it the first time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm wanting to jump into it. So we begin with an introduction to some of uh, Mrs. Collins' family, her sister-in-law, Eunice McGruff. Her husband was an international entertainer. She's a widow now, same as Mrs. Collins. And she's coming to visit Daisy Collins. That's her Mm -hmm. first name, in case you forgot. But I think the first thing that this episode has wrong is the narrator stops. And then Mrs. Collins, she talks about Eunice. Like, she's talking to the audience. And then you hear her talking to or hearing Eunice come up. Like, we don't hear anybody else with Mrs. Collins. Why is she talking about what kind of person Uh she is? It doesn't sound like a natural thing that you would say to yourself. Not at all. No. And and the the thing is, you could easily have given that line to the narrator because the narrator is in so much of this episode, even more than the previous one. I loved the the last one because the narrator was there to give context. He was like, howdy, y'all. We're going to the school play and stuff. And then he would be, like, interrupted by Ned and Marsha in the second to last scene of the last episode. But in this one... He's just all over the place. It's just like, whoa, 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 I need to explain to you who these rats are. And, oh, I need to explain to you how CJ's feeling. And, oh, hey, we, we got we to gotta explain this here and there. Whereas there could have been so much more development put into the characters by cutting out 65%, 70% of the narration. And that's it's not a terrible thing because I don't I don't mind the narrator. We said it was, it was David Heath, right, who, who plays him? Yeah. Yeah, I love listening to his voice. It's just so much. Yeah. We also hear, I think... A lazy mule. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I guess it is an actual mule, though. Yeah. So we hear her say, I think the narrator a little bit, how Eunice used to be a very sweet person, and then we hear that contrast with her, you know, grumbling and berating people. And she's not a likable person, but, you know, Mrs. Collins is such a sweet person already. It helps balance things out a little bit. But I'm kind of surprised that she doesn't say much about being surprised of her change of attitude or something like that. So maybe this is a recent thing that Eunice is being like this now. Maybe she's just finally just, you know, the older she gets, the more sour she gets, I guess. Yeah, I'll I'll say this here as a foreshadowing of stuff that happens later on. Eunice, is her last name Collins or is it something else? Just, Just Eunice, I guess. Yeah, Eunice McGruff. Eunice McGruff. Oh, never mind. Okay, yeah. Her characterization here is so cartoonish. Because her, the way she talks is over the top, and she's not taken seriously. She's only taken seriously by the kids, but not even by her sister-in-law. And it seems like later on, when there's that conflict between them, and she's going, "You, you're the one who broke my," vi-. and Mrs. Collins is going, "Stop, just, just be quiet." Why would CJ and Ned have any reason to be scared of her? She's a guest. She, she doesn't have any power or any ability to do anything in Wildwood. All that she could do is just going through Mrs. Collins. Like, I'm staying in your house, so I need you to do this for me. But Mrs. Collins is clearly much more sympathetic and not appreciating what she's doing either. So it's it's childish, and these are children. I get that. But it's not realistic on how, how that would how that would work. It, Mrs. Collins would I, I would have wanted <laughs> I would have preferred a storyline where Mrs. Collins learns how to deal with her sister in law. We don't get any of that. It's just a conflict resolution or peacemaker kind of thing. Yes, and say, hey, hey, you have been struggling with unforgiveness here. Why don't you forgive and move on? That is a good moral that's able to be understood by kids and still fits within the character and brings character development to this ridiculous person here. I I have no sympathy for her. She's she's just completely unlikable. (laughs) She's kind of like a Rachel Lynn from Anna Green Gables, but up to a 10. I have. It's been so long since I've read that. (laughs) I don't even know if I've read that. (laughs) 
Have you heard the radio theater version of it? I, don't, I can't say I have, no. It is so good. It's so uh, good. There's so much audio drama I need to listen to. But anyway, the narrator talks about even Mrs. Collins gets tired of the way that Eunice yep. keeps going on and on and complaining and everything. So I think she's kind of happy that CJ and Ned came by. And it sounds like because she made some snacks for them, too. She's probably trying to get out of being around her <laughs> yeah. sister-in-law for a while. Well, Eunice also takes a nap while CJ and Ned are, are over. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I know you're probably going to bring this up. Because we had this kind of thing in the correction course. But again, we hear in that first episode that usually pretty good with what they do with stuff there. And she lets them play with the stuff. She's okay with that. She knows they're careful. Like, I guess it's not like they learned their lesson. I mean, Ned wasn't part of the correction course episode. And they were fine with, you know, how they were acting. But the vase was the thing that he shouldn't have done. Like, it was to the point of being too careless. Like, if they'd use that vase instead of him balancing it on his head... Like, just to put stuff in or something like that, rather than something that, putting in a, a very precarious position that it could fall, I see that being careless. But again, Ned is acting, overacting, or acting out, he I guess, is. a lot more recently. CJ is totally different than in Crushing Course. Well, here's something I'm going to run by you. The narrator says that because Mr. Collins had so much stuff, and he made so many additions to the house, and put all these artifacts and items in these rooms uh-huh. that she doesn't really care about the stuff. And so she's okay if the kids from Wildwood come around and play with them. That's what the narrator says, right? Yeah. Okay, does she? Th- does the narrator say anything in this episode about Mrs. Collins trusts them to be careful with the stuff? Is that an actual line of dialogue here? I can't remember, but I think something like that was mentioned in Correction Course. Yeah, but the problem is, unless the continuity is established here in this episode of this is why this is a problem. I don't remember correction course. Maybe I should. And maybe that continuity is relevant because this is in the same universe. But unless it unless it is established that she's expecting them to be careful with it, I don't see why it would be a big deal for CJ to just say, hey, or for CJ and Ned to just say, yeah, this thing broke. And for her to realize, oh, I didn't even care about this stuff in the first place. That seems like a slight contradiction. And it's, it's interesting to try to reconcile. She doesn't care about the stuff, but she also knows that the kids are going to be careful. Which is which? What does she value? What does she actually value here? I think she values the kids. Like this kind of place. Like I know there are some really valuable stuff here, and there's a mystery going on with those tubes, which we don't hear anything about in this episode. It talks about like her husband wanted to make it into a museum, but she's not concerned with that. She's probably at the point that you know, it's like what happens with it is fine. Like she's not afraid of burglars. We. Uh, Eunice brings it up later on. She's fine with it. Like, yeah, some people might be different than that, but that's that's how she feels about things going on. And if they had something right away, yes, things would have gone a lot smoother. But a lot of this, I think, is on Ned. If Ned hadn't acted the way he did, I think CJ probably would have been able to this is true. get him to say something. But Ned is trying to avoid any kind of confrontation, any kind of any kind of repentance and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and this is, as far as Mrs. Collins is concerned, I'm more maybe speaking to her directly like if you didn't want this to happen why would you let them do this and why would you let nine-year-olds in there if this was an option and i think if cj and ned really understood that they could have told her and not had any consequences like oh yeah i knew that i knew something like that would happen that's that's fine just please don't do that thing again she's probably too much of a pushover with eunice i think because if eunice wasn't there we wouldn't have no problem well here's another question why did Mrs. Collins let Eunice put her things in that room where the other artifacts were and she knew the kids would be playing? Yeah, that was a little bit confusing. It sounded like the, the urn or the vase or whatever, or vase, was um, part of like the 
stuff in there. So that is confusing. Like, why she would have her stuff in there. Like, it doesn't seem like it's the regular wing of the house. I think some of this might be. I know there's a basement. So I'm not sure if this is, like, the the ground level or not. I think it's probably there's a ground level. But yeah, that is kind of confusing. There's so much of this episode that could be resolved by Mrs. Collins going, Hey, you're a guest in my home. Here are the rules on where you get to put your things. Because if Eunice is like, I'm going to put it here with all the other artifacts. And Mrs. Collins could go, no, those are my things. And I have the kids come in and play with them. Eunice doesn't have any stake in those items. So when she goes on a tirade later of, you have, your doors are unlocked and burglars are coming in and all of that. I, I, for, I forgot until just now, this isn't even her house. This isn't her stuff. Yeah. This is, this is quite... This is a situation where I don't appreciate how much of a pushover Mrs. Collins is. That's not a good kind of conflict. All it takes is one character to step up and go, look, this is how reality works. This is how responsibility works. Stop being upset about something that's not yours. But that's none of the conflict we get in this episode. So we should have had like a neutral space with another yes. character that would have been able to talk to Mrs. Collins about it. Well, even CJ. CJ is that neutral space because there's stuff that happens around him and then there are opportunities for him to make active character decisions he's great but we don't get the worldview of this episode being who needs to take responsibility for what i will get to that and i'll get to that in a second because I, I have a lot to talk about with papa chuck but here cj's because the writers wanted to portray this theme they missed out on an even bigger theme of responsibility and that's the whole thing with Ned. That's the whole thing with CJ. That is the whole thing with um, Eunice. I don't hate the opening of this episode. I think the, this first part before the commercial break is actually pretty good. But it goes completely south. So, yeah. I will say also about positivity and negativity. Uh, being negative doesn't mean that I hate everything and that I'm decreasing the amount of happiness in the world. It just means like episodes like the previous one are all the the better to me. So, you know, you've got that, that sine wave, that those extremes. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Well, I was going to say one positivity thing I like about this, uh, this scene, like before the urn gets broken, the dialogue between Ned and CJ is very funny. Like, <laughs> yeah. they're pretending all these uh, adventures they have, these items. Like, Ned said, like, you know, I brought all this water to this uh, village with the water in this urn. And he said, that's a pretty nice urn or vase. He said, it's a pretty nice village. <laughs> you know, I got about halfway there and I forgot. Uh, and I remember that I have forgotten the cups. How embarrassing. I hate that. Is what CJ says. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, CJ says, looks like a Grecian urn. Oh, yeah. I was carrying it from China to Greece. Okay. <laughs> Nathan Carlson and Jeff Parker are great at humor. They're they're awesome at humor, which this episode, for the humorous moments that are meant to be humorous, is awesome, I think. I'm looking forward to seeing those humorous moments eventually in Posit or uh, Jungle Jam, but, you know, we'll see. That's the New Year's resolution. If I listen to Jungle Jam, so you can get all the references uh, Austin makes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> okay, continue. But yeah, so the narrator talks about, you know, someone did see them, and we hear the rats again, Professor Madavi and Rick. Which, did you notice, it sounds like a different actor for Rick. It sounds like the guy that plays Hugh. It's been so long since I've heard that original episode, I don't I don't remember, honestly. It's the same actor for Professor Modavi, but I think it's a different one for Rick. I think in the next episode with Rick, I think it's the original actor. I'm not sure. Like I said, I think this is probably like the point where they're kind of in between California and Texas right. and still getting things sorted out, maybe. So, question. Why are they here? This legit question. Why are they here? So, in other words, you're saying that you think they're too passive? Of characters no i just don't understand what their point in this particular story is i understand the point from correction course actually i think they work better in that episode because that you've got a a, a a b plot going on with rick and him being responsible uh just like you do 
with the kids in that episode, regardless of what I think about how they behaved in that one. With this one, I don't even know why they're here. So, two things. One, we hear a little bit more about Professor Madalvi. He's an authority on history. He corresponds with other professors, but they don't know that he's a rat. And then we also see how, because of some things happening, they get spotted, or I think Rick gets spotted, and the consequence from Ned breaking the vase and him and CJ not saying anything, the rats are in danger of being killed. They're not there for a passive thing. They're, I mean, they're kind of passive to a certain extent. Like things that happen to them, they're not really making anything happen themselves. No, they're, they're not in trouble because of Ned and CJ. They're in trouble because Eunice saw them and they weren't hiding well enough. Yeah. Because we have already established she was in that room before. So why would her being in that room again have any bearing on the rats being there? We also already established from the narrator that if Mrs. Collins found out about them, she would fumigate or she would clean them out. And then she chooses not to fumigate when Eunice sees the rats. So maybe it's just because Mrs. Collins hasn't seen them and she thinks she's overreacting. They, they do put traps everywhere. And I think that would have happened regardless of Ned and CJ's thing. I can imagine a universe where Eunice comes in and says, where's my vase? And she walks in. Or where's my urn? And she walks into the room and just happens to see them looking at the urn like, what do you think that's from? Nah, it's just a cheap urn. And she goes, oh, there are rats there. And that's the same universe in which Ned and CJ break the thing. Okay. It doesn't it doesn't fall to Ned and CJ to to keep Professor Madavi and Rick from like being distracted out in the open, like, oh, did you see that? This has happened before. They know how to remain hidden. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think I see see the plot holes here now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and and another thing. To your point about the narrator, that's not something that the rats do, that's something the narrator says. We we could have had that discussion in correction course. But I did appreciate knowing a little bit more about his psyche. I just wish it would have been a bit more naturally laid in. That's just me. Again, we have that quandary of, you know, which animals are, you know, sentient or which ones are yeah. considered, you know, on a higher level. That was interesting. Which, again, kind of weird. <laughs> I don't say much about that because there's an episode in season two that's really going to blow your mind. <laughs> Is that like going back to uh, the one with Papa Chuck and the, the, the weird, the, the, that whole thing? The one where they called him, that one bear called him Goliath or something. Oh, I'm thinking of a different episode God in with the, the future. Wind. It's a little bit different, but yeah, I mean, this is a little bit different. Like, it's weird because we have animals that don't talk. We have animals that do talk, but they are basically hunted, which hmm. is, you know, I don't know. This is getting confusing. Let's move on. We'll talk more about that <laughs> in future episodes. Okay. Anyway, so Ned runs off and it's making CJ tell her, which at this point, he's okay with him telling uh mrs collins what happened but later he doesn't so i know that's kind of a inconsistency no, there he's not he says if uh, my friend or if a uh, if a friend like if I, he knew that a friend had done something wrong oh yeah i'd tell i'd crow like a rooster and then cj says but what if it was me telling on you he's like no no no, no you can't tell yeah but when he runs out he says you explain what happened or something like that he doesn't say don't say anything he just runs out like oh i'll let you take care of it oh that's a good point so, yeah there's an inconsistency there it's another inconsistency <laughs> oh no <laughs> But also, like, his attitude about, you know, no one one knows, no one was hurt, and, again, him not wanting to confess what he had done. Again, it's kind of a leftover attitude from, like, the Scarlet Stain, but a more cheerful way, I guess? Maybe his conscience is seared enough at this point where he's not as, you know, harsh on that, but it's just like, oh, yeah, that's that's something normal I do now. Well, here's the thing. The whole thing about the Scarlet Stain isn't just that he's doing wrongdoing. It was that... He was rejecting authority. So by not confessing his his sin and what he had what he had done, going against rules that he knew were put in place to protect him, and by going against the advice of his friends and 
uh, having the attitude of no one tells me what to do, even with God. That's the whole, if I understand correctly, that's the reason why the stain is there. That is never mentioned in this episode. It's always, no one's going to get hurt, and no one needs to know what happened, and yeah, yeah you, you can just tell them, it's not that big a deal. It's not, CJ says, Ned, you need to say what happened, and he says, hey, don't tell me what to do. That's never a point. That's never mentioned. And, and uh, just like you said, with the more cheerful attitude, this does not fit well but from that, it doesn't flow well from that episode, and we'll talk about more i'll mention that more later i say that so many times in these summary reviews like i'll mention that more later that's that's just the nature of doing a, a summary review yeah in, or a, a full plot review but in that first scene i do actually really admire cj and i like the perspective that he has on this where i'm telling you no no no, don't balance it that way and he's always consistent on this is what needs to happen he has a strong moral compass just like he had back in the scarlet stain however it's obliterated later in the episode which i really don't appreciate so for for the scene where he runs off i, I did have another little thing cj turns around and talks to mrs collins and in that moment he doesn't know what to say so he does the best thing he can it's it's a strange question that i really wish this episode had addressed of if something somebody else does something wrong what do you do about it? Like, what's your responsibility? Yeah, is it? And that this was brought up. I I love this the way that Odyssey did it in uh, a model child. I think was the name of the episode. Uh, and that's I think it was. It was whatever the episode was that was it forgiving more or less. No, no, no. It was the one where Wit says. Have a kind of similar situation. It was there. the one where Wit says, "Well, I know you're not going to like this answer, answer, but it's because she's 13 years old." It's where he has that one. I I forget. I think it's that sounds like it's from a model child. Okay, and his point there was that maybe when you're adults, yeah, leaving responsibility up to each other and having people be responsible for their own, own actions is something to consider, and that's a more nuanced question. But when you're children, you th- this is like you you're still learning responsibility, and so many people don't have that maturity. It's be- it's better to just tell. And so that is a a topic that I wish had been brought up here because CJ is right. He 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 has not done anything wrong, and I think you could even argue there's a higher moral good of him not telling about the vase and waiting for Ned to do it. Because think about how much bigger of an impact that's going to be on Ned if CJ's like, "I'm not going to tell. You're going to reap these responsibility, the, like reap the consequences of this." Because if Ned's sin will find him out, then Ned is going to have an even bigger lesson at the end of this if he finds out if he's found out the hard way. Maybe that could even be a bigger impact on him than CJ just telling. Who knows? But as long as CJ, CJ does what he is responsible to do, I would say that's what he should do. You could argue because he's like because he's a like because they're children, because they're nine. Maybe that's a, a better better reason to say this, to do this. But I don't know. I want to hear what your thoughts are on this, Austin. I wouldn't apply this to everything. And I think there there's some laws in real life about if you see this happening, you do need to report it. But from a responsibility standpoint, Ned should be responsible for what he did. And it would be extra for CJ. It would be admirable for CJ to tell on Ned, but I don't think he morally has to. What do you think? Well, if we're going to do that, how about we go ahead and uh, jump to the scene with Papa Chuck first? Because I think we can probably discuss that quite a bit in that scene. Yeah, there's. I don't really have anything to, to say about the scene with Ned, except that he's still not bringing up his red hand or any of the same thought pattern that he had in the last episode. And CJ's got a line where he says, you're trying to make me feel guilty and I haven't done anything. And he's right. And Ned is just trying to manipulate him. So we can skip to the scene with Papa Chuck. How about that? Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk about that there a little bit. So CJ comes up to Papa Chuck, which uh, Papa Chuck's humming again. Papa Chuck, hum- Papa Chuck hums a lot. <laughs> 
uh did you recognize the song he was humming i did i i don't remember it right now but i do remember the mighty fortresses are god yes that was it that and he's fixing a rocking chair from stacy's mom well that's a relevant example <laughs> <laughs> well i do like the illustration i don't necessarily agree with everything he says with this when it, how it applies to CJ at least, no. but he talks about how you know it has like dry rot, it could break any moment. Just because you don't see something's wrong doesn't mean something is wrong, and you gotta take care of that situation. But I don't, I don't think it's necessary CJ's responsibility to tell what Ned did unless Mrs. Collins asked him, because Mrs. Collins does not ask him, oh, who broke the urn? If she asked him that point blank, he would say, I do know. He could say either, I do know it was Ned. Or, I do know, I don't want to get this other person in trouble, I'd rather them come to you about it. I think that would probably be better. I don't think it would be CJ's responsibility to say what happened, unless, one of two things. Again, if Mrs. Collins asked him, or if he knew about the rats, and what their plight was, and what was happening because of that. Again, I know it's not the best of correlations. But if he did know about what was happening to them, he'd probably say something to save them from that suffering, or them getting killed or caught or whatever. Yeah, here, here's the interesting thing. Ryan and I have talked a lot about the trolley problem and about the minutia and the, the little objective standard of how do you solve the trolley problem? If a train is coming down the tracks and you've got it, uh, it's going to hit five people. And if you switch the tracks to where it hits one person, should you switch the tracks? And the more information you add onto the problem, I'll always come down on a do it or don't do it answer, depending on the amount of information. And Ryan added a piece of information that was like, trains don't just go down the tracks by themselves. Somebody would have had to have done that. Somebody would have had to have started that, and that's that person's responsibility. So you switching the, the train or switching the track for to have the train go to another track makes you involved. It does make you involved, yes. Whereas, otherwise, it's that other person's responsibility. You don't have all the information. You don't even know how the train started. So these these questions do have answers. They're not always fun. They're, they're, they're not always easy. But you can come down on an answer, and someday you're going to have to make that answer. That's something I, I half agree with Phil Lawler on, that ethical dilemmas have to be practiced. But I don't agree with his statement that I can't make a decision about it right now. I can, and I will, and I'll continue to define what I mean by that statement. So in this example, in this episode... Ned does have a responsibility to own up and to keep other people from being hurt. And in this case, it's it could be CJ. It's not CJ yet. But let's say there are other people. Let's say the rats are directly affected by what Ned did. That is Ned's responsibility. And so if you want to say that CJ can step in and tell the truth and explain what happened, that is a net positive. For him to do that, being open and honest can only help in this situation. And I would say in general, in situations, that does help. It's not like Ned is going to be hurt by this. Ned is going to be benefited by this because he's going to get justice for what happened if Mrs. Collins follows through. So CJ doesn't have to because it still relies, it still falls on Ned. But if CJ has an urging, a prompting, if he does it by faith that he should do this, then that's admirable. Good for him. But he can't be blamed for not. And here's the thing. This episode, if we laid out that the rats weren't even the direct result of the the urn breaking, if they were going to happen regardless, which there is a strong case for that, we can see as the audience that no one is actually being affected by this at this point. So that makes CJ's case, his prompting for doing this extra action of going to Mrs. Collins and explaining it, that makes his motivation even lower. So... I would say in this one, 
Papa Chuck saying, "Well, you know about telling the truth, and you know it's best to it's best to deal with un- deal with falsehood right away, right?" It sounds like he's the one who's lying, and I don't think that's a fair assessment of the situation at all, especially considering all that we know and that we know that CJ doesn't know any more than we do. Like we know about the rats, CJ doesn't know about them, but are they even relevant? I don't know. The episode tries to say that they are, but I think that that could be argued either way. In any case, the responsibility absolutely falls to Ned. And if CJ steps up, good. If he doesn't, you can't blame him for that. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I I think the verse that Papa Chuck brings out does apply more than the ones that CJ brought out, which I think that's also kind of a funny point there, too, where he keeps like, spouting those verses off. And he said, <laughs> well, I was actually getting ready to go to a sun- uh, meeting talking about how Sunday school were failing our kids, but I don't think I'm going to have to be going to that now. You know, th- there, there's a lot about coincidence in storytelling and, and how that progresses your plot. I think the coincidence of CJ going to Mr. Wright as the and him being the dentist and then both being in the same play that's it's a little bit of a coincidence but to have papa chuck be working on a rocking chair that just happens to work be the example that he needs and for cj just happened to come up to him at that point and he just happened to be going to a sunday school meeting later that evening then well the sunday school thing i think was just a throwaway line i think it's meant more for a joke than anything it, it is i'm nitpicking that's fine it was fine but yeah i i don't agree like I'll say this point. CJ wasn't at fault for any of this unless he was asked point blank if he knew or asked who did this or if he knew about the rats. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I don't think he should have had to. There we go. We go to the next scene, and CJ is going to go tell Mrs. Collins what happens. And surprise, surprise, surprise. surprise. <laughs> was this a surprise? Did you expect that to happen? Mm. Well, when she said Ned came by and told me, I thought, yeah, he lied about it. Uh, for a half second, I thought, oh, he explained it. But then I looked at the timestamp in the episode. I thought, there's like seven minutes left, ten minutes left. What's going to happen here? So, yeah, that was – that's really bad. That was really dirty of him. That is really bad. That's that's going to destroy the friendship. And that's a thing of if – you know, if CJ had just gone to Mrs. Collins in the first place, we wouldn't have seen this happen. And I think it's good that this happened. Because it shows what a rotten person Ned is in this episode. He's worse than he is in the Scarlet Stain. Even without the Scarlet Stain. <laughs> even without Timothy Owl. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, maybe Timothy Owl is there and we just we just can't see him or hear him because he's invisible. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, continue. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's the devil on Ned's shoulder now. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> don't, don't think too much into that. No, it's fine. I know. Because <laughs> we had that in a conscious effort kind of thing. So CJ is surprised by it. I mean, Mrs. Collins is forgiving of it. Like... If Ned had told her the truth, she would have forgiven him just fine. And, you know, we had had a shorter episode. Yep. And then Eunice shows up, and then she goes, Scorch Earth there. (laughs) Yeah, she just goes off her rocker. And poor CJ. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's right to be scared. At the same time, they're completely empty threats. She can't actually do anything. She's a guest. Yeah. She's not a citizen of Wildwood. What are you doing? Next thing, he goes to talk to Ned. And then he says, you know, they can't play in the mansion anymore. She's going to go to the police. It's I know it's not the greatest of threats, but it's so funny that she comes up, I guess, in Mrs. Collins' car. She drives by. I don't think she came in her own car. <laughs> and she's just yelling at them as she drives by. And that, that's finally clenches it for Ned, I guess. Why? He finally tell, tells what happens. No. No, 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 no. We can't, we, can't move, we can't move by that too quickly. We can't move. Okay. Because here's the... 
here's the issue here. Oh yeah, because no one would arrest a nine year old or no, third grader. No, no, not only that. Well, from the Scarlet Stain. For one thing, yeah, that's one. But also another thing, Ned has absolutely no personal gain in telling the truth here. None whatsoever. He doesn't feel any regret about it either. The only thing that he do- that he can do by telling the truth is getting himself in more trouble and by getting CJ in less trouble. Already, CJ is the one who uh, Mrs. Collins and Eunice believe broke the urn, and Ned was a part of that. So by swapping those roles, CJ is still in the same trouble as Ned, but Ned is in more trouble. Considering his development up to that point and what CJ, CJ just lays out what's going on that, hey, people are getting hurt. I'm getting hurt. Ned knew that. And Ned went and lied to Mrs. Collins about it in order for that to happen. Telling the truth doesn't change anything. And he shouldn't expect it to change anything. CJ says, if we don't settle this now with Mrs. Collins and Mrs. McGruff, it's just going to go on and on. Really? It is? It's going to go on and on. With you? Because as far as Mrs. Collins and Mrs. McGruff know, the issue's cleared up. The story is exactly the same, except the names are swapped, Ned and CJ. That is the complete story, and the only people who are going to know about it are the rats, and they're not going to be involved anymore because they're going to clean up the traps because they weren't the ones who broke the urn, and CJ and Ned are still going to be involved, and that's going to be a personal thing between them. I would have much rather had seen this episode end dark, and CJ maybe telling the truth to Mrs. Collins and clearing his name and not having Ned tell the truth, because Ned... Correct me if I'm wrong here. Ned doesn't have a single reason to do it. I think the only reason he does it is because, one, the threat of jail, even though he heard in the Scarlet Stain that, you know, a third grader's not going to go to jail. And also, they're not allowed to play in the mansion anymore. And that's probably also a big thing for him. Like, oh, I can't play with all that neat stuff anymore? Okay, I probably better say something about it. I think it's probably the only real draw for him to sit, tell the truth at this point. Why would telling the truth change either of those? You're right. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get it. That That is pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because let's say they're banned from the mansion. And he goes, oh, it wasn't CJ, it was me. So you're a liar and you're the actual one who broke it. Okay, you're banned now. CJ, you can come back. You did nothing wrong. And, oh, you, we were going to send you to jail just for being an accomplice? Oh, well, now you're the actual one who did it. Okay, you're going to jail for longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's convoluted. We can let it sit there. We can just let it sit there if you want. All right. Well, we got we got one more scene to go. Oh, and this scene's the worst. I'm sorry. It's, it is. It's the worst. <laughs> so we come to the next scene. Ned does say what happens. We hear another consequence. I guess Mrs. Collins had a housekeeper, and Eunice uh, convinced her to fire Katie. Why? Uh, because she didn't trust her. <laughs> which I think the first mention of her having a housekeeper, but it makes sense if she's living in a mansion all by herself and it's this older woman. I guess it would make sense for her to have a housekeeper there. Come on, Mrs. McGruff has said so many crazy things. Why would Mrs. Collins go along with that? Yeah, because she later says that you fired Katie, but Mrs. Collins says that she is the one that fired her. She was convinced by her. It wasn't Eunice's fault. Mrs. Collins could have said no to that. That's not the boy's fault. Come on. You don't just fire people without questioning them. Yeah. But I know she talks about how, you know, covering up and lying. Uh-huh. And that's not even the moral that I wanted to bring out here, but okay. The one thing I do like about this, and I do agree with, you know, we can make God smile. And I think they said, like, Papa says that, you know, we can also make God grieve, which is, I think, excellent. I think we talked about this in the last last review, like, about whether or not God actually gets hurt physically or yeah, yeah, that's or, a good question. or whatever with that. I think you you brought out, like, he we can make him grieve mm-hmm. over what we're doing if we're sinning. Yeah. But also, like, smiling, too. Like, I believe God does show favor, and I think he does. And that'd be, like, the smile that we think of. But we can feel when we are doing right. We feel God's smile upon us. And if we're doing wrong, we can feel his frown upon us. 
again, that's kind of symbolic. We're just ta- talking about that situation, but I do like that that talk there. You remember back in the beginning, in the first couple episodes of Paws and Tales, where I was like, man, these these themes are so deep and they're so great. And then we get to this one, and we have a potential for an awesome theme about responsibility. Instead, we just get telling the truth. Yeah, this is... Again, Does it get better, this, Austin? Does it get better? <laughs> so we already reviewed I'm a Believer. So after this, for season one, season two, and season three, it's, it's pretty much almost perfectly smooth sailing. Good, good. I'll okay. say that much. All right. Okay. But we'll we'll see. So we do find out that the, va- the vase, the urn, was not really that <laughs> expensive. And they could get one at the general store for $1.75. It kind of reminds me of uh, the statues that Mrs. Fishbein had. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also with Boswell. Yeah, except Eunice was just lying about it now. So that, like that's not great. Yeah, like you could swim and scale and paddle all this stuff and then maybe you could make up for it. She's like being way over dramatic My and word. outrageously yeah, no. lying there. No, she says it came from here. So like that's not great. <laughs> But also, like, she gets kind of some comeuppance to a certain extent. I'm not sure how much it was deserved, but she steps in a rat trap, But it and it's kind of funny. But at the same time, I guess being a way of waking up, okay, maybe I was going a little bit overboard. And it's nice that we don't hear them seeing any more of the rats. So as we know in this episode, the rats are safe. Good. They had 200 mousetraps, I think Miss Collins said. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, but my question is, why are they cleaning up the mousetraps again? Like because they know that they know the rats are there. Does she? Does Mrs. Collins just think that Eunice is lying about there being rats in the in the house? I guess I think so. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a little weird. Uh, we've already talked about that kind of. But here's another thing. I've been waiting for this whole episode to mention this. I don't understand this line. Mrs. Collins says, "Well, I must say that I am disappointed in you both. Why both of them?" Because yeah, because we're they're putting the pressure on CJ to actually say something before. Yeah, but no. He also didn't say anything. He didn't defend himself or tell the truth when she found he found out that Ned had said it was him. He, I mean, she didn't ask him to tell the truth. He he went back and did the same thing he did before and convinced Ned to tell the truth. Why is that something to be disappointed in him for? I don't think it's necessarily them finally coming to him, but the reason why they're coming is because he did something wrong or didn't quite do something right. CJ? Yeah, because they're not saying anything to Mrs. Collins. Like, no, it wasn't me. It was actually Ned. Do you have an obligation to correct things that other people say? <laughs> Again, I, I agreed already with yeah. you earlier about, you know, I don't think it's CJ's responsibility to say something unless of those two instances. Yep, yep. And if the worldview of the episode is saying that CJ learned a lesson about telling the truth, then that line makes sense. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. So that's a way to go out on an episode on. Uh. Yeah, but actually... We end the episode, but we do not hear Ned repenting. He talks to Mr. Collins, but he does not talk to God about it that we hear of. But we hear him repenting in the song. <laughs> yeah. So this is actually, yeah. What? So what's going on? So I will say, I mean, it's a fun song. I like we hear Eric Basil singing in Ned's voice for the first time in a song. It's yeah. fun. I do like it. It sounded good. Oh, uh, I do like the lines like you know you can't patch things up with like chewing gum or super glue. Uh-huh. Like it's kind of a catchy song. And at one point he says, uh, this beaver, it's a believer and doing something right or something like that. Uh-huh. I have my notes. I don't believe the beaver. No, no, neither do I. Does this mean the whole arc is just over? What are you talking about? I thought he had this thing for years. Yeah. Yeah, the arc isn't over. I mean, this episode, like, we don't see him being that cheerful of being... It sounds like it might be a coming after that. But again, it does not fit with the episodes before. It does not fit with episodes that come after. It's a fun song, but in the context of the story, it doesn't work. Wow. Okay. That was a review. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Boy. 
Okay. But otherwise, the song itself, like, you know, if you just heard the song by itself without the episode, without knowing the arc, you think it would be a good enough song? Yeah, of course. Sandy Hell always does a really good job. Yeah, it's it's still fine. Okay. So, that was the end of that. So, Michael, we have only two more episodes to talk about. Next time we record, we'll be finishing up our reviews of Season 1, since we already reviewed the last episode of the season, which was, I'm a believer, a long time ago. So, I have this to say. Yeah? Buckle up, Michael. Oh! You want to hear more of the ongoing storyline? You're going to hear a boatload of it in the next <gasps> two episodes. Yay! Do you want me to record my reaction to it? That'd be kind of fun. Okay. So, the next two episodes, your little teaser, the next two episodes are called The Gift, and the second episode is called Goliath. Yes! Let's go! Looking forward to that one. And that last one is one of the longest episodes of Paws and Tales ever. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, this has been an, an up and down review on this episode, but I am uh, looking forward to the season one finale. All right. Me too. It's going to be a lot of fun. But even if we, even if it's an episode we're talking about that we don't like or agree with that much, it's still always fun to talk with you. Thank you, Michael. You as well. Good to talk with you, man.